Hi, just uh, before we start the episode, I just kind of want to apologize because my audio is kind of awful in this episode because I accidentally recorded on my earphones rather than my nice podcasting microphone. Um, But please just kind of stick with it. The topics that we talk about are super interesting, so we'd love for you to kind of continue and just ignore the fact that I kind of sound like I'm underwater. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Genderfuck, the sexual health and wellness podcast run by trans people and for trans people. I'm your host, Dan Griffiths. My pronouns are he, him. And I'm Oliver Ellis. My pronouns are he, him. We're joined by our special little guest, Louis <laughs> Captain. <laughs> if you'd like to introduce yourself. Emphasis on the little guys, because I am only five foot tall. Um, hi, my name's Louise, <laughs> but you can call me Lamb, like Dan is. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, and I've been researching the topic around religion formally for about five years um and i've grown up in a religious household i went to a christian school and now i'm studying religion at a master's level um, and i'm super excited to discuss it with these guys today so like me and lam have known each other for four and a bit years now i think yeah yeah but it unfortunately um, feels like longer <laughs> i know i hate you so much <laughs> i'm kidding um So like today's episode, we're talking about religious trauma and kind of more specifically, I guess, like around sex. So we wanted to kind of have like a bit of a disclaimer first, just kind of saying that like, obviously, we're not saying that all religions or religious beliefs are problematic. Many people can practice their religion in like a very, like, kind of, I guess, like comforting way that doesn't like harm other people. Um, But also like religious beliefs can be weaponized to harm people and these can kind of induce feelings of like shame or guilt or whatever that we're going to discuss later on um and then also that the term like religious trauma isn't like an official diagnosis within like the dsm-5 or anything but there has been like mental health professionals kind of comparing it to kind of complex ptsd um yeah absolutely and i think one thing that we always kind of try to put across in the podcast is that we're not trying to make you know any sort of blanket statements about you know any of the sort of controversial topics that we bring up um you know we're mostly basing this on our own experience and research as well as like the experience and research of all of our special guests um so obviously that won't represent any everyone but um you know i think still really important to actually talk about these things yeah definitely so we wanted to kind of have Lam, like, I guess, like, explain and define what religious trauma is and kind of through her experiences and the research that she's done. So if you'd like to do that. Yeah. So like you guys have already said, it doesn't have one singular definition because it hasn't been officially defined anywhere. Um, for the sake of the podcast, I would say religious trauma is anything a religious individual feels or encounters Um, that gives them a long-lasting negative emotional response which affects parts of their life so trauma can usually Mm. be characterized in three ways so you've got the acute trauma which is in a single incident so you go on a skiing holiday you have an accident and you can no longer ski you have chronic trauma which is more prolonged so think of domestic violence cases and then you have complex trauma and that's when you encounter multiple traumatic events at once so when you think about religious people and their experiences, it kind of doesn't fit into any one category. Um, Even something as small as if you as an individual think that you're going to literally burn in hell for eternity, if you um, fancy someone of the same gender, I would definitely define that as something that's chronic and complex. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I would say be open whilst you're listening to this podcast and think about what trauma means to you as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so then there's also some other stuff that I found when I was doing my own kind of like background research about the topic, because I think all of us the same as me, where it's like, this is quite a new thing to be looking into. Like I'm, I never really grew up in a very religious household. Like I went to kind of like C of E schools and like first or middle school. Um, I went to like a tech high school, so it was like no religion there. And like when I was growing up, I was kind of, I was one of those kids where I was like, I don't, I don't believe this. I'll just like, I'll do the assemblies, but I don't really believe in any of it. Yeah, no, my experiences are fairly similar. Um, I kind of went to like a Lutheran kindergarten and like went to church a little bit as, you know, a sort of teenager, but not really in a consistent way. Um, you know, it was just kind of here and there, but my family wasn't super religious, like my immediate family. Um, so it was never really something that super affected kind of how I viewed the world I guess yeah because like my mom 
she practices like Buddhism and stuff, but it wasn't ever something that she kind of like got onto us. Like I keep meaning to like ask her about it and like kind of learn more about it because I think it's super interesting. But then I always forget and I just don't do it. So <laughs> that's a new problem. <laughs> um but we also wanted to kind of like touch on stuff how there's kind of this idea of kind of black and white thinking that apparently has been quite common in people who are dealing with people who have religious trauma experiences. Mm. Um, so I'm trying to think of how to like, I guess that's kind of like that thing where it's like, I'll either like go to hell if I do something bad or I have to be like entirely pure or something like mm-hmm. that, I guess. Yeah, like absolutist thinking. Yeah. Mm. And then there's like difficulty trusting yourself because I guess you've kind of put all this pressure onto like an external force to kind of guide everything that you're doing. So you kind of feel like you can't trust your own judgment, Um, low self-esteem and kind of like feeling you're like you're in debt to like a group of people, like I guess like the people you're with. Um, And obviously like with this, there can be kind of skewed views of sex, discipline, emotional regulation, relationships and self-expression um and that's kind of like that fundamentalist kind of all or nothing us versus them kind of feelings um which is like very typically kind of motivated by feelings of like shame and fear okay so now we've kind of gotten like a bit of a introduction out of the way we're going to do like a little bit of a Q&A with Lam because we think it would be quite interesting to pick at her little brain um <laughs> so Oliver if you want to start yeah, so our first question, um, just to kind of hear a little bit about your background, we wanted to ask kind of what your background is with religion. Yeah, so kind of complex. <laughs> I grew up <laughs> with loads of religious beliefs around me. So my mum grew up Catholic. My dad grew up as a Muslim. I went to a Christian science school for 12 years of my life. Um, and if you don't know what Christian science is, it's kind of like a very niche and small Christian sect. Um so I've been exposed to a lot of religious beliefs. And then I'd say more recently in the last couple of years, I've really gotten into more like new age spirituality, I guess. So think astrology or like crystals, lunar living, all of that jazz. So I don't, I wouldn't necessarily subscribe myself to one belief. I just have lots of little beliefs floating around in my head. <laughs> yeah. I guess like I would be quite interested to learn a bit more kind of about what christian science like entails because i remember in southampton mm. you know when we would get like the bus into town there was like like derelict building that was like completely oh yeah like beaten up and it was like christian science i was like what the hell is that so i'd be quite interested to know more about kind of because obviously if you went there for about like 12 years or something didn't you say i'd yeah. be quite interested to know what the kind of main beliefs are and I guess kind of the effects this could have had? So Christian science is complex because it takes a lot of the beliefs that like traditional Christians may have, like Protestants, Catholics, whatever, but then it removes some of the quote-unquote science that we have developed over the last, what, 100 years. So things like medicine are not valued in Christian science. Mm. They believe in uh, like religious healing so think of prayer circles all that jazz so one instance I can remember which would have been quite shocking like as a young person this isn't directly related to sexual health but one of our teachers fell over and she was like a staunch Christian scientist and she was quite old so we were going to go rush and get the school nurse um but she just asked us to like sit around her and pray instead of like getting her like help Um, so that would be the vibe I guess you get from Christian science yeah that's interesting. Is there anything yeah. while you were in the school, was there anything that was like very specific, like sexual health kind of a thing that you ever got taught? I mean, generally just the lack, <laughs> the lack of, yeah. um, I mean, they had to do it because it's on the national curriculum. So there's, there's some things you have to say, but at the same time they had to have a nurse in school and they didn't for many years because it didn't subscribe to their beliefs. So our sexual health education was very minimal and I'd say it was very influenced by the teacher's who were delivering it to us. So I remember I had two and one of them wasn't a Christian science and she would just let us ask whatever questions we would like, which was fantastic. Not very good because it's not comprehensive, but that was nice. And then we had the Christian scientist woman who um, definitely was, she would make comments whilst delivering some of the content such as, you know, guys, but really you should wait until marriage or 
it's not going to happen safely if it doesn't happen in this way. And it just wasn't true. Mm. Um, so kind of going off of that, you know, all these religious experiences kind of in your youth in particular, um, do you have any experiences of your own of religious trauma? Yeah, definitely. When when it comes to a sexual nature, I've grown out of them now, which is fantastic. But my primary thing would be guilt. So it would just be like weird, icky feelings I would feel around um, sex and even masturbation uh, because I just didn't understand what was going on. And I think that could be attributed to um, a lack of education around the topic. Mm-hmm. So even though I had a lot of guilty feelings around like sex and masturbation I would like to disclaim that I wouldn't necessarily it was my say my parents Mm. that were doing that because I know some people with religious parents didn't receive like any sex ed at all whereas my parents did sit me down for chats and they were very they were pretty good with what they said so they'd speak about things like consent and like sexual health and it wasn't just about like religious stuff um whereas at school obviously it was the complete opposite Mm -hmm. yeah that's good that you had at least sort of some chats about that um yeah yeah I know some people who just don't have it at all exactly and or I would say even worse they have it and they're made to feel really guilty um and they're told Mm, like x y and z will happen if you masturbate or if you have sex with someone before marriage or whatever it is Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely Dan did you ever get like the talk I don't think we've chatted about this like with my parents yeah yeah (laughs) 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 yeah me neither (laughs) like my, like during high school like with sex education because obviously I said I went to a kind of tech high school so there wasn't any kind of like religious influences there to kind of do all that but everything was just very like this is how straight people have sex and this is what puberty will do to your body and I was always just out there like okay but like this isn't the puberty that I want to be happening to my body and I have to wait for the one that I do want and also, I'm not going to be having this kind of sex. Like, why should I be like really paying attention? Um, mm-hmm. So that was my experience. And I had to just basically teach <laughs> myself everything. Because I was like, this is ass. Which I guess would be a similar experience for a lot of people if they have very like subpar experiences, I guess. Yeah, I think I got handed like books, you know, like I my parents never really talked about it, but it was like, here, read this book about like the birds and the bees <laughs> and all that kind of thing. But my, the town I grew up in for like most of my childhood, um, from like ages kind of eight upwards, I guess, um, quite a religious town. And like the sex ed was very like, this is what reproduction is, the egg and the sperm and it makes a baby. And that's kind of like the end of it. But it was very like, like your parents had to sign a permission slip to make sure that you were allowed to like hear this information and like wow. some kids oh, yeah. would get like pulled out because their parents didn't want them hearing that information and it was just like wow. I don't know it was so like the even I think some years had like the option for parents to go in and like see the curriculum beforehand which like you know I think is like fine like my mom went because I think she just wanted to kind of know what we were learning but um I think other parents went and were like oh no my kids couldn't possibly be hearing this information and it just is so wild that it's like such a natural part of life but there is so much kind of shielding going on I guess yeah like I think in the UK like you know how they redid the social health curriculum I think, like, they said the under 16, like, parents can pull you out, but then after 16, like, the kid has the ability to kind of be like, no, I want to learn this, which I think is a good idea, but maybe, I don't know. I think that's really good. I think that's Mm. a huge step. I think it's a good idea, but I'm also, like, I feel like a 14-year-old or something can advocate for themselves that they want to do that, but... Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I feel definitely. like the age definitely be a bit younger. Because yeah. <laughs> I just, I was just thinking, like, whenever I saw that, I'd be like, but when I was in sixth form and stuff, when I was like sixteen, like, when would I have had the opportunity to do that or been able to ask someone to be like, can I have this class? Because like, when would they have done that? I don't know. Mm. It just, yeah, seemed a bit weird. I was like, our ours was always just kind of combined with our like health classes, so like, uh, it it works different at different schools but it would be like you know for one semester you'd have a gym class and the next semester you'd have like a health class sometimes and like it was like you know the whole year it was like don't smoke and don't do drugs and all these other things and then it'd be like one week of like this is how to make a baby and that's kind of it (laughs) um but it was just really wrapped up into everything else and like I don't know even like when we were younger it was its own thing but it was like one hour of like this is what puberty is and then you know okay now it's recess time go play like (laughs) wasn't super comprehensive i think ours was like mixed into 
PSHE, which is literally what the fuck does that even stand for? Do you remember <laughs> that? Um, isn't it like uh, I want to say it's like personal social healthcare education? I think so. Yeah, something like that. And then it would yeah. also be in like science classes and stuff. It was kind of a weird mix, but apparently it's personal social health and economic education. Apparently. I don't know. Oh. I know in Scotland, oh. some schools have like relationships and sex education, like RSE. But I mean, I'm assuming it's different. Mm. Yeah, I think in, I think it's formally called RSE now, especially with the new curriculum. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. very often. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. No, I'm just trying to put it back in. Yeah, um, someone has to. <laughs> um. So what would you kind of say, like, the origins maybe from religious teachings, I guess, that could kind of like impact how people navigate and like kind of experience sexual symptoms and stuff of uh, religious trauma. Well, it's kind of tricky because there are so many ways that religious trauma around sex can come about. Um, There's the really obvious way that it can originate from encountering a religious leader who you may have been um, trusting and, something's happened there such as sexual assault because unfortunately that does still happen a lot um especially in christianity um there's also some religious individuals who have ocd and they can have intrusive thoughts around religion and sex and religious idols so for example they may have a thought where they think jesus is super sexy and they're constantly then feeling shame about this thought because they feel as if they shouldn't be thinking it and then they can act out on certain compulsions which may cause them to harm themselves You then have teachings in the Catholic Church, such as a husband and wife being one flesh, and therefore rape is permissible. Like, literally by law, it's permissible. Mm. Um, uh, Which Mm. obviously will have really negative consequences for the individuals involved in those situations. Um, And I think most interestingly, and I've been researching it a lot recently, is purity culture in general, especially in Christianity. So in some sects of Christianity, a tween girl, so I'd say between the ages of 12 to 15, um, can complete a virginity promise or an abstinence pledge to her father. And in that situation, you get married to God and your dad. And you do not let another man um, encounter you emotionally or physically in any way until you're married. I was just thinking, is that why, is that like, the origin of um you know the whole tradition of like you bring your boyfriend over and like your dad has to like approve him in order to get married is that where that comes from do you know what potentially but i'm not entirely sure it makes sense because i was just thinking like that's such a weird thing you know yeah (laughs) anyway you can Um, continue In these virginity promises or abstinence rituals, um, there will be a card which you have to sign by law that you will not have um, any sexual relations with anyone. Um, Often you have to wear a purity ring which matches the father's wedding band. And sometimes girls have to wear wedding dresses to symbolize that they will be staying pure until they meet their husband. Interestingly, I have never seen a mother-son virginity promise. Mm. Um, So that isn't great obviously yeah and i have a i have an example of a pledge here of some things that um these girls may want to say if i can read it out okay go ahead so there's an organization in the u.s called true love waits and their most updated abstinence pledge was in 2009 and it is I am making a commitment to myself, my family, and my creator that I will abstain from sexual activity of any kind before marriage. I will keep my body and my thoughts pure as I trust in God's perfect plan for my life. And then a quote on the card from the Bible says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his slash her body in a way that is holy and honourable. And I know what you're thinking off the bat. Lamise, (laughs) this sounds maybe a little bit creepy to us, but how is this traumatic? We are meant to allow people to have their religious expression and do what they want. Unfortunately, the reason I wanted to bring this up is because there have been studies which backs up that these rituals can have really traumatic um, effects for these people in the future. Um, One of the most famous studies is by two sociologists who found that 
often, you know, they do these pledges and they wouldn't wait until marriage because for some people that's really unrealistic. And because of the miseducation that they would face, they would be less likely to use contraception than non-pledges. Um, and it would put them in some really dangerous situations regarding teenage pregnancies or STIs, etc. Yeah, and I guess it also would have the kind of social implications around that too, where it's like if they had done all these rituals and stuff and then they didn't have the education mm. or understanding to use condoms or whatever, and then they fell pregnant, mm. then they'd have to kind of deal with the repercussions that come from I guess like their family or their like religious group and stuff like that which I guess could be another kind of way that trauma can happen because I can imagine a lot of people have been like disowned from their families Mm -hmm. or something because of something like this yeah definitely this is kind of off topic but (laughs) like going off the the purity thing like did the Jonas Brothers not wear purity rings am I making that up I feel like they did yes they did (laughs) they did (laughs) <laughs> wow no they totally I absolutely did. don't believe that they like <laughs> no I'm that. I'm sure I they slowly don't. kind of got rid of them at some point but yeah that was interesting I'm not sure if that was like a press stunt to make them seem yeah well, young and pure or what but yeah wow I don't know it's so <laughs> weird because well, I guess like to be honest it is mm. so it's so weird to us but I still see things on social media like I'm I'm <laughs> I really enjoy TikTok, guys. I won't lie to you. And a lot of stuff will come up um, from accounts from southern states of the US. And they're filming, like, their purity rituals, and they're all live. Like, this is just stuff that's still happening. Um, so it's easy to think that these things are very alien because we don't have to encounter them. But people are having to live through this on a yearly yeah, basis. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, like, I know a couple of people who have had to, yeah, make those sort of promises or, you know, wear purity rings and that kind of thing and, like... Um, you know, I know people who, uh, on one hand, have kind of acknowledged the trauma that it's caused, but other people are like absolutely fine with it, and it's just kind of how they want to live their life. So, like, you know, mm-hmm. obviously, it's up to people's choice, but I, I do think you should be able to talk about, yeah, I guess the negative implications that they could have. Like, it's not something that you probably just shouldn't question whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Exactly. So, how do you think religious trauma affects queer people specifically? Well, I would say monumentally it affects queer people far more than it does cis and straight individuals. And that's because of the glaringly obvious discrimination they face due to some religious teachings um, where being gay is a sin or X and Y can't happen because of Z. Um, And there have been a bunch of studies which have just cited the awful, awful implications that this discrimination causes for these individuals. So mental health problems such as depression and chronic loneliness and higher suicide rates due to a lack of family acceptance or feeling isolated from religious groups. Sometimes individuals when they're growing up can face some cognitive dissonance between their identity as a queer person and a religious teaching. Um, And then obviously there's the horrible, horrible thing which is still allowed and that's conversion therapy. Yeah, that was a really good... um documentary that i watched a couple months ago i might just like quickly look on netflix to try and find what it was called but it was about conversion therapy in the u.s and it was kind of like you know how there was like a big boom of it um in like the 80s or something i can't remember when Mm. exactly with like exodus and stuff um yeah so it was called pray away and it had people who were like the heads of the organization and were like running a lot of these groups, especially while it was like getting a lot bigger. And then them talking now about how like much regret they feel about it, kind of how they've come out as like a queer person and living like in a happy, like queer life and stuff. But it also has bits in that show where it's got like, I remember those like clips of this one woman who she's, bisexual I think and she's married to a man now but she's going to therapy to talk about her kind of religious trauma experiences and like the trauma of conversion therapy but then like within the same documentary because like I don't want it to sound like it's like something where it's like it doesn't happen anymore because like in the documentary it also follows someone who describes themselves as an ex-trans person and they advocate for trans people to go through conversion therapy in order to kind of like quote unquote 
accept their body and stuff. And like, I couldn't help, but I guess like feel while I was watching it that they just didn't seem happy. Like it was like really quite like heartbreaking to watch them do this. So I was just wondering what your kind of thoughts about that were. Well, I have a definition of what it is from the human rights campaign here. And I want to read it out just in case any listeners don't know. Um, And the human rights campaign Mm -hmm. define it as a range of dangerous and discredited practices that falsely claim to change a person's sexual orientation or gender identity or expression. Such practices have been rejected by every mainstream medical and mental health organization for decades. But due to the continuing discrimination and societal bias against LGBTQ plus people, some practitioners continue to conduct conversion therapy. So right off the bat, the description of it isn't good. Um, What's happening with these... Mm -hmm. I I don't want to say camps because it's not always camps, but what's happening with these conversion therapy practitioners is they're using very dangerous techniques to do something which is horrible um, and it's not safe. And that's proven by all the research which has shown the outcomes of this. So typically those who have undergone conversion therapy are twice as likely to report having attempted suicide or having multiple suicide attempts. And due to a lack of miseducation and risky sex these individuals may have, they are three times more at risk for having HIV. Yeah, that's something I feel like we go into a lot of like when Mm -hmm. people don't get the information, they are more likely to have all these risks. You know, it's actually, you know, putting people in harm's way a bit more than if they actually knew like how these things were sort of transmitted and stuff. Yeah, definitely. Because they've been put in a situation where... (laughs) Don't even think about getting the education you want. We're trying to educate you backwards. So it's it just must be so helpless. And I just honestly, I feel I feel mm. for them so much. I guess like the main point of all this, like with the kind of education piece, is just kind of like if people have the education to actually understand what they're doing, then they can make the informed choice to either kind of be like abstinence only and kind of mm. save themselves from marriage, whatever mm-hmm. that means for them. Or they have the decision to kind of do whatever they want and like, you know, have multiple partners and stuff. Um, but obviously, like, I guess the really difficult thing about this is that people kind of, I guess, like, maybe they feel like they don't have any kind of a choice because of the societal expectations around them, like in the kind yeah. of group that they're in, to kind of like, this is how you have to be and that kind of like, fundamentalist thinking where it's like you have to be like this or you will go to hell kind of a thing which is like scary as shit like i'm not even religion like religious and like that kind of scares the shit out of me that kind of like, yeah i feel like that's a yeah. really good way of putting it of like because it, it you know it should be about that choice of like here's all the information you know do whatever feels right for you you know like if you want to wait until you're in a you know committed relationship or wait till marriage to have sex like that's fine but it shouldn't be this is the only option and bad things are going to happen if you don't choose this option, you know? Mm-hmm. Definitely. I guess like maybe we could talk about um, what are the kind of, I guess like symptoms of someone who has experienced like religious trauma, like what are like things that they could deal with that could be quite difficult for them in sexual situations? Um, tons. So if an individual is taught that when they're married off to someone that that person can use their body for whatever they want to, they're going to be put into situations where they feel like they can't give consent to anything or they feel like they were um, granted the consent at the start of the marriage. Mm-hmm. I also think that often across many religions, people are told that you know things happen for a reason and God is putting you through situations to either test you and you should trust in God and everything's for your benefit. So if someone's put into a dangerous situation, they're likely to not question it and they can then experience trauma because they think, you know, God is doing this for a reason. Additionally, they may experience something and then they may feel like they're going to be punished by God for whatever reason um, due to a religious teaching. I guess that could also be quite insidious in the way of like, if you're taught that something traumatic is just like a test or something, then people would probably be less likely to identify something as being traumatic. And then obviously, if you can't identify something as being traumatic, then you're less likely to actually like, get any help for things that you're like really struggling with, unless you have like a professional being like, bestie, that shouldn't have happened. Like that's traumatic. Like we need to work through this kind of a thing. Definitely. Have you guys seen the film with Robert Patterson and he's a preacher? No. Oh my goodness. 
Number one, it's a good film. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> it's a, oh my goodness, it's a horror film. I definitely recommend you guys to watch it. Um, and there's a plot within the film in which he is a preacher, but he is having sex with a lot of underage people in his village. Um, and you see when it happens and before he has sex with them, he has this script where he basically says, you know, I'm the preacher of this town and God has put you in front of me for a reason. And if you want to be a good Christian, then you need to do what the preacher says, etc. cetera. Um, mm. So that trust can also be abused. Yeah, definitely. I'd say one of the other big symptoms, I'd say this is the main symptom, to be honest. Um, and then it produces a variety of other symptoms. That's just guilt, guilt in general, mm. feeling guilty about, feeling certain things whether it's about your identity or your sexuality or how you feel and guilt can lead on to things like depression or anxiety or not reaching out to help reaching out for help sorry because um you feel guilty or weird about how you're feeling and maybe a more general question but like what do you think is the kind of impact of like specific gender roles that people get taught in religious kind of teachings and stuff i guess like the kind of thing of like a man does this and a woman does this like how do you think that could impact people um i think it i think that's a very big question <laughs> and it's so very valid as well um and i think it impacts people in a variety of ways i think it impacts everything i think it mm. impacts how some people dress and how some people act uh within the workplace and how some people make friends so i know some i know some religious couples who will not allow their um significant other to be friends with someone of a different gender um so i think it's pervasive yeah i was just like thinking of um what is that like that youtube duo that's like two sisters where they're like how to wear makeup and how to oh, wear. yeah because i was just like thinking yeah. about that and kind of the things i guess that they preach that people should do because obviously like i don't care if they do stuff like not kiss their partner until they get married for them personally because obviously like that literally doesn't affect me or affect other people if that's like a decision mm -hmm. that they want to make with their own marriage i guess it's kind of like mm -hmm. this idea of like pushing like modesty and like that kind of idea of like how women should behave and like there's also that kind of thing that's really insidious i think of like that like you said earlier it's like a woman is often taught that like she has to have sex with her partner even if she doesn't feel like it and like is obviously like that's a form of sexual assault and like rape um so i just yeah, yeah i just think they're very interesting kind of scary but you know mm. um so something that i found quite interesting when i was researching and i was kind of like looking at different techniques and stuff that different therapists use while working with someone who's experienced religious trauma is this kind of idea of like using masturbation to kind of help switch internal messages about sex from kind of feeling of shame to kind of like self-compassion and stuff like that. So what's your kind of like mm. thoughts about this as a concept? I think it's a great idea and I know myself and other people use it to get more comfortable with sex and sexuality. Um, some additional comments I'd make about it though is just ensuring that you feel totally safe when you're doing so emotionally and physically because then you'll just end up having an anxiety wank <laughs> which could further propel really anxious feelings towards sexual pleasure so ask yourself some questions physically is your body ready for this like is your body in a physical state where you could masturbate right now um are you safe in the environment that you're currently in emotionally is this something that you want to do are there any feelings you need to detach from before you enter the session are there any positive affirmations you could say before you enter the session um and I think journaling works really well for me because I like writing so if the, I needed to do that writing down some positive thoughts before doing so would work for me um or if you're into fire <laughs> like my <laughs> friend is who I will not name um listing some emotions which foster guilt around masturbation writing them down and watching them burn in a safe way maybe in like a pot or something um really worked for them yeah i quite like that idea of like burning it because it's just like it feels quite like <laughs> i don't know it feels cathartic i guess um yeah do you have any kind of 
tips, I guess, that could be quite practical for helping people if, like, because I think maybe the kind of thing of, like, is your body ready? It's kind of like, how do I know if my body is ready? Kind of, especially because we touched on that thing earlier of, like, some people have a real difficulty trusting their own body and their own intuition. So Mm. do you have any kind Mm. of, like, thoughts about what people could maybe do or what kind of things are signifiers, I guess, of being a bit ready? Well, I am really into mindfulness as a concept, Mm -hmm. Um, like mindfulness and meditation. So I think practicing mindfulness, so doing the um, grounding techniques of is there five things you can see, is there four things you can hear, is there three things you can smell, etc., and trying to recognize how anxiety feels in your body Mm -hmm. so making sure that you do not feel that anxiety before you enter the session and grounding yourself in a way which you feel is appropriate because I know different people like different anxiety grounding techniques some people hate meditation and some people hate mindfulness but I feel like they're good um indicators of how you feel in terms of anxiety in your body um yeah like I think there's when I was reading Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski, the fucking book that I always talk about in the <laughs> fucking podcast, um, she talks a lot about how to kind of complete the anxiety cycle. And like, she has a lot of like kind of practical things that we've put in the show notes before, like activities and stuff, and like questions you can ask yourself to help if you feel quite like pressured about something. Um, so I think that's quite interesting. I'm kind of, I'm trying to remember like the exact mm. like anxiety like completing the anxiety cycle thing that she suggests but I can't remember right now but it's basically just that kind of concept of like if you feel anxious you need to kind of like release that energy out of your body instead of just being like I'm fine oh this is fine mm-hmm. and just like calling it in and then your body is like this isn't fine. Oh, yeah. It's like the fucking picture of, like, the dog sat in, like, the fiery room. <laughs> like, that's your brain, you know? So I think that's really great practical advice. Um, is there any kind of advice that you can think of that deals more with the, I guess, the thoughts around sex and that kind of stigma that people have maybe, you know, internalized? Any kind of advice around how to, I guess, get away from that? Yeah, definitely. I have three main pieces. So first of all, this is going to sound really silly and really obvious, but you're not alone. So religious trauma, unfortunately, can feel very isolating. And that's because religion is often practiced in groups. It's seldom practiced um, individually. So think of church groups, schools, families, etc. And there is usually an expectation in this group of how you should be feeling and thinking. And there may be judgment passed if you express a belief which goes against the group's ideologies. And that's just normal for every group. Think about groups you grew up with in school. Um, So if you feel like you can't discuss these really uncomfy feelings in these religious circles you're in, it's really easy to think I'm alone and I'm weird for feeling like this Mm -hmm. because you don't know of anyone else who is. So just know that there's loads of people feeling exactly how you are. Um, And I hope that humanizes those feelings for you a bit more. Do you think there are like communities online? Like I guess maybe there's maybe groups on Reddit or Facebook. (laughs) My cat is fucking yelling again. Can you please decide if you want to be in here? <laughs> Come here. Okay, she's on the back <laughs> now. You're going to stop screaming so I can talk. No. She's <laughs> <laughs> so cute. Okay, she's cleaning herself now. Okay, <laughs> I'll start my point again. Um... When you were talking about kind of feeling less alone and stuff, do you think there are kind of practical groups, maybe like online and stuff that people can go to, to kind of like talk to other people who are experiencing the same thing? Because I think like sometimes acknowledging, like not specifically like a religious experience myself, but like sometimes if I've been like struggling with something, just the kind of like conception of there being people who've also... um, experience the same thing as me doesn't really feel like quite enough because I would like to be able to like see and interact with these people Mm. so do you think there are 
any like yeah. kind of resources out there that you can think of at the moment yeah dan totally there are loads of social media platforms so i think it also depends on how you want that interaction to be so if you want to speak directly to people forums like reddit or tumblr may be good um TikTok, I know I've already mentioned TikTok in this video, in this podcast, but it is fantastic. And you can watch people's experiences. Um, and YouTube, uh, watching people's experiments, experiences too and commenting yeah. below is... I think there's also, I guess, like making sure people are safe while they're doing this. Like obviously if they live at home and they have like quite controlling parents or something, mm. like using things like incognito mode or deleting browser history or something yeah. could be quite an important part of that to kind of reduce that kind of risk that could come with that and like some unfortunate consequences that can happen definitely definitely another piece of advice and it's really ambiguous very ambiguous um and that's because it's so different for each person and that is you just need to like kind of evolve and unlearn all of the trauma you have which I know sounds a lot easier said than done. Um, but I genuinely believe that re-educating yourself on the topics of sex, gender identity, etc., is completely crucial if you would like to recover from this trauma. If you're still hanging on to really old religious beliefs whilst trying to enforce newer ones, you're going to experience some cognitive dissonance and get confused, and those will lead to feelings of depression and anxiety as well. Mm-hmm. And the reason why this unlearning process is so ambiguous, for me at least, is with anything in life, I don't think there is one approach. And I think most things need to be individuated because we're all really human. Um, we're all really human. <laughs> we are all really complex human beings made of different parts who have had different experiences. So individuals may want to re-educate themselves or they may want others to re-educate them. Some may want to go through this process with a support system. Others may want to do it alone. Some prefer different medias of re-education, such as online, in-person, books, social media. So I think recovering from any religious trauma you have around sex and identity is a much bigger process of self-discovery. And it isn't going to be as easy and it isn't going to happen overnight, like listening to this podcast or reading (laughs) a single book. So I'd, I'd say be prepared to commit yourself to like a really tough journey, but it's a totally worth it journey as well. Yeah, I think that kind of like re-education thing is like really interesting. So I remember I was listening once to Dan Savage, like he's got the very popular like sex education podcast. Um, But he brought on someone who is like an expert in like extremist beliefs and stuff and was talking about his own experiences with kind of like far right, very like fundamentalist, like Christian groups and stuff, like how he grew up in that kind of environment. Um, and how he helped kind of re-educate people, especially like very racist people, by kind of like bringing them into, like with the permission of the people he was bringing them into, but like the guy had very like Islamophobic, Islamophobic beliefs. Um, Mm. And he basically like called up um, the people who worked at the, is it mosque for Islam? Yes, mosque. Okay, yeah, like he called up the people who worked there and was like, yo, can I bring in this guy? Can you just like have a chat with you? Um, so he can like see that you're not like these weird, like radical beliefs that he has about what you're like. And like actually like interact with you like as a person. Um, and then like after they did that, like the guy like literally like goes to their little like pot lunch things or whatever it's called in America. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> you know, when you like bring in a bunch of food and just like chat, potluck like a potluck yeah yeah, yeah. Is it pot roast that doesn't sound right but <laughs> i think that's a very like crucial part of it especially if someone was kind of navigating the idea of different like genders and sexuality and stuff like being able to watch like queer youtubers or something and just like learn from their experiences and just like listen to them instead of kind of like holding on to this very like narrow kind of belief set i would just say the last piece of advice i have is that if you feel like your trauma around your religious beliefs are really affecting your life just please seek professional help Mm -hmm. because there are professionals who would like to help you and you deserve to have a fun safe happy healthy sex life and you deserve to embrace your identity despite any negative thoughts you're having and asking for support to attain that is nothing that you should feel ashamed of yeah definitely 
And one other thing I was kind of wondering about, um, and I don't know if this is something that you kind of have experience with, but um, do you know much about people who kind of reconcile their sort of religion or faith with their, you know, queerness or, or sex positivity? Um, you know, is that something that kind of happens often as opposed to sort of separating themselves completely from a religion? I wish there was a study on this. I genuinely do from the bottom of my heart. I think this topic deserves a longitudinal 20-year study Mm -hmm. um, where we can get a lot of the population to answer some questions because I feel as if there is a trend on social media where we're just becoming more compassionate human beings, um, which is fantastic. And I think because of that, people are reconciling their um, faith. Again, I don't have any specific sources to cite, but I'm just talking from um, personal experience and what I'm seeing online. Uh, For example, there's this one uh, lesbian couple on TikTok who I'm in love with, and I wish I could uh, share their at here, Um, but I unfortunately follow over 2,000 people on TikTok, and I tried to look through the list, and I (laughs) couldn't find it. Um, But one of them is a very traditional Muslim, And she covers from head to toe. And their debut video on TikTok was her standing in front of a mirror in a hijab. You could still see her face, but in a full-length covered dress. And she had her camera to the mirror. And she said, hey, babe, do you think I can go out like this? Or do you think I should cover up more? And, you know, everyone's expecting for this, like, awful misogynistic guy to come out and be like, no, you need to wear more. And this beautiful, like, eight-foot-tall butch (laughs) lesbian comes out who's in, like, booty shorts and a crop top, uh, comes out and she's like, no, babe, I think you look fantastic, but it may be a bit cold, though. Do you want me to get you another skirt? And it just, like, I think it broke the internet. It had about 70 million views. Um, And from that account, you have this couple who are very much reclaiming their religion. So you have the Muslim one reclaiming their Muslim religion and the white butch lady who was reclaiming Christianity for herself um, and within their account that they kind of talk about teachings within their religion which you wouldn't mm-hmm. think supports their relationship but does um, and I think that's great yeah that's great. amazing it's so wholesome I love it like I think that's just like really sweet because it's kind of it goes back to that thing that we were talking about and like the disclaimer where it's like obviously not all religious beliefs and stuff are harmful and some people can use it in like a very like loving way like these people are Mm -hmm. i just think like the whole response of being like it's a bit cold out i'll get you another skirt kind of thing it's just cute really like yeah (laughs) because she's basically saying if you want to cover up more you can cover up more it's your body and i still love and support you either way Mm -hmm. yeah and i like how the message wasn't like no, in order to be free and whatever, you need to be as exposed as I am in order to kind mm. of anything like that. And it's quite nice that she's not like forcing that kind of idea on her where it's like something where she probably like wouldn't feel very comfortable doing because of her like religious beliefs. I think that's quite nice too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so this is kind of more of a history question, I guess, but um, I, I'm interested in the sort of stigma that religion can bring to sex with another person versus, you know, masturbation or like sex with yourself. Um, do you know if these are kind of rooted in similar ideas, I guess, if that makes sense? Yeah, it does make sense. I, I'm going to answer the second part of the question first about being mm-hmm. rooted in similar ideas, because from my experiences, I understand sex and masturbation to be rooted in the ideas of self-control and in purity. So self-control being you should wait until marriage or you shouldn't masturbate. And if you have enough self-control, that means you really do love God and you can do like good positive things in your daily life. And then impurity obviously being um, sex and masturbation are dirty things which you shouldn't do. So with sex across many religions, it's typically believed that it should um, happen with your marriage partner and it should happen for the purpose of having children. Um, Whereas with masturbation, there's a variety of beliefs with different religions. So to my knowledge, Catholics, Orthodox Christians and Protestants still consider masturbation a sin, like something you just shouldn't do. Um, In Islam, it's typically forbidden, but with some like moderate slash progressive Muslims, they think it's okay. But what important is bathing and cleaning yourself after like it that's compulsory Mm. um and that's not just for like the spiritually impure reason i think they take their personal hygiene very seriously like they have like bidets and stuff in arab countries um so they're all about being like squeaky clean in buddhist ethics there are five precepts that you must follow like as a buddhist and the third Mm. is to refrain from committing sexual misconduct and some 
for this interpret this as no masturbation and others have different um, interpretations of what constitutes sexual misconduct um, and I can't comment on East Asian religions like Taoism or Judaism because I actually am not educated enough yet and I don't I don't know enough about them yeah but I think it's quite interesting think really how it varies interesting from it. different religions yeah mm. yeah and I guess we could probably spend like so long like going into like all the different religions and all this research but you know obviously we don't exactly have time for every single one but um it's really interesting exactly. to know there's so much difference mm. i mean i'm not mad at the one where it's like you can do it but just like make sure you're clean because i'm a clean freak when it comes to sexual <laughs> stuff so i'm not mad about that <laughs> so um so that was our kind of chat with lamb about kind of religious trauma and how religious beliefs and stuff can impact sexual functioning and satisfaction and stuff like that um i know that me and lamb have this like bit of a pipe dream of like once we finish our phds we'll do like a study together about this kind of a thing maybe we can do that longitudinal study that you were talking about earlier (laughs) that can be our project oh please (laughs) um ultimate goal would be to yeah, ultimate goal would be get the whole Earth to agree so we can have a population sample of 8 million people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 8 billion. <laughs> hmm? You said million. Did I? Yes. <laughs> That's embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, it's just like the population of like London or whatever. That's it. London. London. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to episode 10. Um, and thank you so much to our special guest, Lam. Um, I found it so interesting to learn about, you know, topics that I don't really have a background in. So I really feel like I learned a lot and I hope you all did too. Um, as always, we're at genderfckpod on Twitter and Instagram. Um, yeah, have a great day, everyone. And we'll be back in a couple weeks. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Bye. Bye.